Christmas. No clock, so excuses, excuses. Well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, we are continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. We are in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and the guys will get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. You know, as preparing for this this morning, I realized we had taught on this subject a while back, and to me it just seemed like yesterday, but it's actually a, a year and a half already since we talked about this, and so um, if you were here a year and a half ago when we did a special study in this way, then this is kind of a refresher course. If you weren't, then this is just to be a brand new for you as well. So uh, Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20 this morning. Jesus speaking says in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 18, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church, But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. The title of my study this morning is Matthew 18ing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, to be in your word, knowing, Lord, that it's your plan, your desire to speak to our hearts. You brought us all here this morning with a plan and a purpose. And so, Lord, our heart is just to be open to receive all that you have for us. We ask your blessing upon our children as they are being ministered to downstairs through the teachers that you've equipped to share with them your word. Upon our junior high and high school kids, Lord, as they're being taught your word. And upon our time together as we're being taught your word. Lord, we also pray if there's anyone that has joined us that has yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again yet. Lord, would you especially touch their heart this morning. We thank you for their time, for our our time together, Lord. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oftentimes, when it comes to church discipline, and we see something that the church requires discipline in to act, people will say, well, don't you think we need to Matthew 18 them? Now, I know what they're thinking. They're thinking church discipline, like what we're going to look at this morning. But I'm tempted to say, absolutely. What part of Matthew 18 do you want to do? How about verses 8 and 9? If your hand or foot causes you to sin and cut it off, cut it off, cast it from you. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you. All right, I'll cut off their hands and feet. You cut off the, pluck out their eyes. Well, Matthew 18 them. Oh, I don't know about that. How about Matthew 18, verse 34? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. Let's torture the guy. Let's Matthew 18. No, that's not it either. Maybe you mean Matthew 18, verse 11, a little bit closer. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Now that Matthew 18, I like. God saving people, God restoring people and getting them back into fellowship with God and serving one another. But you see, when we talk about Matthew 18ing, 
Uh, We're talking about really a three-step process that you find in verses 15 through 17 to restore a brother or sister who's fallen into sin. And I find it's not by coincidence that Jesus is, is about to address dealing with a sinning brother or sister in the church after he first talks about humility. Talks about humility. Remember, he began the chapter in verse 3 saying, unless you become like one of these, one of these, he's speaking about a little child that he called unto himself. He says, unless you become like one of these, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And we looked at last time how we need to humble ourselves and be like children dependent upon the Lord. And so we're to approach church discipline in the same way, with humility and love and care because we are the body of Christ and it's God's desire that we as a church Stay away from sin. That's why Jesus begins verse 15 by saying, Moreover, if your brother sins against you. He's talking about a fellow believer, a fellow uh, brother or sister. He's talking about humility. He's talking about being great in God's kingdom. And so he says, if your brother sins against you, then here's what you need to do. Listen, biblical discipline in the body of Christ is absolutely necessary. And that's what Jesus is setting forth here. Because when discipline happens... Three things happen if you're you're taking notes. Three things discipline does in the body of Christ. Number one, church discipline maintains purity in the body. Number two, church discipline offers protection. And number three, church discipline affirms the value of every believer. 1 Peter 1, 16, we're told the Lord says, Be holy, for I am holy. To To be holy means to be set apart from sin. And from evil. God is holy, completely set apart from everything that is evil. And we're told to do the same. God desires His children in First John, uh, says, to walk in the light as He's in the light. You know, we hear a lot of preaching and teaching about God's love and His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness. And that's great. But what's missing in a lot of churches is, is teaching on the, the, the unholiness. What's missing is a, is a teaching on a pure lack of purity. Our lives are living lives that are holy. And God desires holiness. Without holiness, it's just hypocrisy. We should be those that are increasingly living holy lives. How can we live a holy life? By being obedient to God in every area of our lives. Knowing and obeying God's word is the key. Hiding God's word in our heart, keeping us from sin. When we live in obedience to God, we're staying separate from evil. We're offering our bodies, as Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, as living sacrifices, which is pleasing to God. So increasingly, our lives should be set apart. Lives where people can look at us and see that there's a difference between us and those that are in the world. We're responsible to be obedient to God and to encourage one another to live holy lives. And to, you see, God holds that in very high esteem for His church and to be holy. If your life is one of purity, then as we gather together as the body of Christ, as a church, there's going to be purity and holiness in the body. We all work together. Now, how do we maintain purity in the body? By lovingly and caringly seeking repentance and restoration for those that might be caught up in sin. Listen to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. So if someone is struggling with sin, we need to do it in, 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 a, in a spirit of gentleness. Why? Because someone may need to come to you and confront you later on for an area in your life. 
See, the whole desire and discipline both from God and from our brothers and sisters in the Lord is to bring about restoration and to bring purity in the body. Next, number two, the second thing that church discipline does is it offers protection. Church discipline offers protection and security to the body. See, if one person goes astray and there's no discipline, there's no correction, no one's seeking to bring them back to that place where God would have them to be, that place of pursuing purity and holiness, then what happens is that sin is tolerated. And you just end up allowing anything and everything to go on in the church. And we've watched that happening in the church today. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. He's saying we need to deal with us lumpheads when we blow it. So it doesn't affect the whole body of Christ. So discipline offers, uh, uh, church discipline maintains purity in the body. It offers protection. Number three, church discipline affirms the value of every believer. Remember back in verse 12, Jesus says, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? Jesus here is pictured as a good shepherd, leaving the ninety-nine, seeking that one that has gone astray. See, that's our job as a church as well, to be the arms and the hands of Christ. We're not to despise other believers that are in sin because they belong to God. We are, we are to take care of and care for one another, loving one another, seeking to bring about restoration. Sadly, it's been said that the church is the only place that they shoot their wounded. It ought not be. So now in dealing with church discipline, we know it's good because it maintains purity in the body of Christ. It offers protection and affirms the value of every believer. And yet, how do we do it? How do we handle such a sensitive a subject as this. Tough issues. I love that Jesus tells us how. Look now again at verse 15 of Matthew 18. He begins, Jesus, by saying, if there is a brother who sins, now that we can apply that to a sister, brother or sister, depending on, on who it is. That word sin there simply means missing the mark. Now obviously we're not to become sin spies. Okay, as soon as this study is over, I'm going to see if I can do some Matthew 18 of my own. No, we're not to be sin spies. We're to be those that are living our lives, seeking the Lord, praying so that when something comes our way, either we find out about something or we see someone who we know is a brother or sister of the Lord that's doing something sinful, we know how to deal with it. Now, it's something that is sinful, not something that, that in your opinion is sin, but something that is sin according to the Word of God. Well, that person didn't smile at me this morning. They're in sin. I need to confront them right now, you know. Listen, maybe that person had a rough morning just getting to church, you know, and you misunderstood their motive. But again, if it's a continual, habitual sin, it needs to be confronted. But God encourages that in verse 15. He says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. He says, if they've done something against you, this makes it personal. Then you are to confront them. Because a flagrant sin in their life is a sin against God, and a sin against God is a sin against the body of Christ. But the remarkable thing, the amazing thing, is that the thing to sit up and take note of is that he, he sends you and I after them. We are his first plan of action. Don't miss this. The process we call church discipline depends first and foremost upon you and me as individuals. Before two or three get involved, before the church, the whole church get involved, if just, just you and the sinner, man to man, woman to woman, so you and I are to go to them. 
And, and, and you know what? Why wouldn't we go to them? Since we love the Lord with our, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're going to love them. Now, I know in our minds we make up excuses. Oh, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know. And, and one reason we might not go is because maybe we've been taught incorrectly. Well, that's the job of the church leadership. No, not according to what Jesus says. Step one, uh, you know, is, is you go one-on-one. Another reason we might not go is because we hate confrontation. It's a big one. I'm not wired for that. See, that's not a valid excuse either. Again, Jesus tells us we need to. And then uh, there just might be the fact, the third one, that you don't want to go to them because you know someone should be coming to you. Maybe you're caught up in that in, in a sin and you don't want to go to that person because if you say, man, you're caught up in that sin, he can turn and go, well, you're, you're caught up in this sin, you know, and you go, you go back and forth. Now, none of us are sinless, you know, but there's a difference between being a sinner and habitually committing deliberate sin. Uh, you know, we need to get it together, confess our sin, and let the Lord cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Then we can go to our brother and sister with, with their fault. Because God wants to use you. He wants to use me to restore brother and sister, to gain them back. Each one of us is far too precious for any of us to ignore sin, either in our own lives or the lives of others. So if your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell them it's fault, that's step one. Now when we do confront them, we need to do it quickly. Because if we don't do it quickly, it's like having a broken bone in your body and not taking care of it. Hey, my leg is completely broken, you know, it's a compound fracture and then a femur's totally snapped, but I think I'm going to wait a couple of weeks just to see what happens and deal with it later. You wouldn't do that physically. Why would you do that spiritually? It would, it would heal improperly physically, and that's what happens if you don't deal with it with a break uh, spiritually. It'll, it'll heal improperly. You don't want to do that. No, you want to deal with it right away so you can get back on your feet and get moving again as soon as possible. Same way, this is the body of Christ, and, and if there's a problem, if there's a break, if there's a sin or conflict, then we need to deal with it and deal with it quickly. And we're to go to that person, we're to tell them, what the problem is. In fact, Jesus commands here again in verse 15, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Uh, if he hears you, you have gained your brother. Tell him his fault, it says there. It comes from the Greek word that means to bring to light, to help him to see. Listen, sometimes when we sin, this person could actually not be aware of the fact that he or she is sinning, that, sinning, uh, that he's blowing it. Maybe they don't know. Maybe they're a new believer in Christ. And they got some old things in their life that they just don't realize that this displeases the Lord. And they keep doing it and doing it over and over again. They go, you know what? Maybe you don't know this, but that's sin, what you're doing. <laughs> you, you, you need to turn from that. And we need to go to them with an attitude to, to, to help them. In humility and love, believing the very best, hoping the very best, because that's what love does. We're to go with that attitude. Not to assault them. We're, get, we're to go to them with love. Again, with the purpose... Of restoration. A restoration not only with you, if they perhaps sinned against you, but, but also restoration within the body of Christ as well and with the Lord. Now I want you to note, and if there was ever a phrase you, you ought to underline, and, and remember it's verse 15 of Matthew 18 again where he says, between you and him alone. Go to them between you and him alone. In other words, don't go blabbing in all over the place. 
well, I got to get some counsel. I'm not sure how to handle this situation. So you go to 15, 20, 25, 30 people. And could you pray for me? Because I think this person is sinning and he's doing this and he's doing that and sinning against me. And how horrible that I need prayer because I need to confront them. You know, in this case, no, you don't. Okay. In fact, you're commanded not to. Again, our instructions are if you've got a problem, go to that person by yourself. Prayed up in humility. Like Galatians 6, 1 says, Restoring such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So you prayed up. Lord, help me to go in humility, not to judge. Help me, Lord, to not accuse, but to go with an attitude of humility in private. And if you need someone to pray for you, then all you have to say is, Hey, I have a situation that I have to talk to a person about who has some struggles. Could you pray for me? And just leave it at that. You don't need to go into detail. And, and if you want to recruit people to pray for this situation, that's all they need to know. God knows the details of the matter. Mind you, the story of four pastors that met for a friendly gathering. During the conversation, one pastor said, Our people come to us and pour out their hearts, confess certain sins and needs. Let's do the same. Confession is good for the soul. Well, after thinking about it for a while, they all agreed. And so the, the first pastor confessed that he, that he hardly prayed at all. I mean, he studied quite a bit and would speak to the lost about the need for a Savior, but he just didn't have a good prayer life. The second confessed to liking a glass of wine every now and then and expressed concern that if members of the congregation found out they would think less of him. The third one confessed, well, I, I have a really hard time. I, I speak to my wife harshly and, and, and it's not right. Well, the fourth one he wouldn't confess anything. So the other three pressed him and, and, and said, come on now, we all confessed our sin. What's your secret sin or, or your vice? Finally says, oh, okay, I, re- I really have just one problem. It's a problem with gossip. And I can't wait to get out of here and tell everybody what I just heard. <laughs> Listen, God is honored and pleased when we don't gossip and backbite in the name of prayer. When you go in love to this person and you talk to them, not going with accusations, but with observations. Let me say this, say this attitude makes all the difference in the world. I've had people come to me in two different ways over the years, with a bad attitude, accusing and anger, well, you, you know, and a right attitude in love. You know what I respond to better? <laughs> the, the right attitude in love. I think that it's important, and it's to be like Jesus in the same way. Remember when he corrected the churches there in the book of Revelation? He's our our example. If there's anything good to be said about the churches, he said that first before he would then correct them. In fact, listen to Revelation 2, verse 2 through 4 in the New, New Living Translation. He says, I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You've discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. I like that. Jesus says you're doing great when it comes to hard work and and enduring patiently. You don't tolerate evil people. You've done so many great things. And I appreciate that. But I've got to tell you, you left me out of the picture. You're not loving me as you once loved me. And you need to repent and turn back to your first love. Here's my point. When you approach someone with a problem and you seek to restore them, we would do well to follow Jesus' model when we go to them, to approach them in love. And if he hears you, Jesus says in verse 15, you have gained your brother. The word for gain there actually means financial gain 
are making a gain in the marketplace. In other words, all of God's children are valuable to him. And when one is restored, that is what Jesus is talking about here. The kingdom has gained. The kingdom has profited. We just can't look around and go, oh, you know, that's just the way it goes. Another one gone, another one gone, another one bites the dust. You know, they're gone. No, we need to do all that we can to get them back into fellowship. Why is that? Well, because God wants his church body to be holy, so we need to reach out to those around us. So, well, what if I do that? What if I go one-on-one and they still don't respond and they don't want to talk to me about it? Well, then that brings you to step two. We need to look to others for the situation. But at that point, we do go to a brother or sister, whatever the case may be, guys with guys, girls with girls, preferably one that, that knows that person. You both are friends with that person, maybe even respects. But let me say this, before you go and get a couple of people to deal with the situation, give your meeting with that person some time for the Holy Spirit to work. You know, sometimes, you know, and I've had this in my life, someone will confront me with something, hey, you know, Tom, da, da, da. And I go home and the Holy Spirit, they were right. They were right. No, they weren't. They were right. A couple of days go by. I just want to tell you, you were right. And I'm sorry. And please forgive me. So in the same way, you got to give people some time in doing that. Give them space to repent. Sometimes we just don't hear things right off the bat too well, especially when it comes to correction. And you may just find it just takes a little while for them to submit to the Holy Spirit. And maybe a couple of weeks down the line, they'll say, you know what, you were right, and I apologize. And they're restored. Now, if that doesn't happen, and if they don't repent, and you still see them going down that path of destruction. Stuff is still going on. And it's causing tremendous friction because of their sin between you and them. Then, then you need to call in some help according to Jesus' words here. Look at verse 16 of Matthew 18. But if you will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Now, for those of you who are recipients of that type of sharing... Someone's come to you and said, I got this problem and, and, and I want you to go with me to this brother, this sister, because here's what they've done. As they begin to tell you what they've done, you have a responsibility before you hear a single word from them, good or bad, before you hear any problem of that person, before one word is spoken about it, you are to say, listen, hey, hold on just a minute. Before you share with me what has gone on, I don't want to hear it unless you first have gone and spoken to that person. That is your responsibility when someone shares something with you. Because unless they have, then it's just gossip. Unless they've gone that first step, unless they've taken that first step. So you need to ask, have you gone to this person? If they have not, then you need to tell them, man, I love you, I understand you want to get this resolved, but you need to go to that person first before you tell me anything. I'll be praying for you, and you can come back to me and I'll help you if that's not resolved. Now, if you've done it the right way up to this point and the person still hasn't responded, then you need to bring someone else in. Preferably, again, someone that they're friends with, someone they, they, they know and loves them and you share them, hey, I know you love so-and-so and you're close to them. Here's the situation that's going on. I've talked with them already. I need you to go with me. I need you to come with me and talk to them. So you get one or two, Jesus says, even three. Don't get a gang, you know, uh, together. Jesus didn't say, then get 20 or 30 people and go beat the living daylight out of them. No. Take two or three and go, and you certainly are going to want to pray at first. But you go, 
And he says, so that the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Everything would become clear. Now let me say, if you're ever put in that situation, you are the one that's going with someone who's already gone to that person first, then you go with them. I would say this, before you say anything, listen to the two of them dialogue with each other and hear what they're saying. Proverbs 18, 13 says, He who answers the matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. It can be very helpful at times to sit back and see the dynamic that's going on there. That's why you take two or three, because it may be that you both need a little help and both need some correction. But you confront you to confront them once again with their sin. Now again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it is for the purpose of restoration to set that broken bone, to bring about healing. It's not to prove that you were right all along. It's not to get even with them because their sin really offended you. No, it's to humble ourselves and to seek restoration. And, and if you're going to do it correctly, it requires paying attention and listening and being gentle. That's step number two. Now, if they still don't hear you and the two to three people that, that, that you're going with, well, you, you went with them one-on-one. You've gone two or three If they still refuse, look at verse 17. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let it be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So number three, the third step is tell it to the church. Now I believe the first part of telling it to the church means that you tell it to the leadership of the church. The elders of the church. Last thing I would want is someone to say Sunday morning, oh, i got something to say here. This person is in sin and we need to get him out of here. Hold on a minute. We, we need to see what's going on as a church. Men, the leadership of the church have been given gifts and, and talents that God has given them uh, to look after the spiritual condition of the church. And so they need to hear the matter very clearly. And then we as church leadership will reach out to the individual one one more time to see if they'll listen to the church. And then if they still don't, then sadly, according to Jesus' words here, that person needs to be removed from the fellowship of believers. That's the final step, removal from fellowship. As a practical matter, by the time we get to that point in the discipline, usually that person's already gone. You might get the first step, maybe, maybe get the second step in, but most of the time they leave the church because they don't want to, 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 to confess their sin. They don't want to turn from their sin. At that point, it really is unnecessary to tell it to the whole church. The whole church is protected since the person's gone and it's not affecting anybody else and, and, and the, just a small part needed to know new and, and now it's over and done with. But if you get to step three, the important step, is, 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 however, is, is to not have fellowship with them. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 5.11, But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Paul is saying as clear as clear can be, have nothing to do with a professed believer who is in continual habitual sin and rebellion against God. And that's what Jesus is saying here in verse 17. If he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. What were a heathen and a tax collector treated like in the Jewish mindset? Somebody they didn't hang out with. Someone they didn't have fellowship with. That doesn't mean you don't have contact with that person at all. They may be a co-worker. They may be a family member. 
But what it does mean is that when you do come into contact with them, you take every opportunity to admonish them and try and get them to repent and come back. But the purpose of the contact uh, should be for admonishment and no other. To keep calling the person to the place of repentance and hopes that they will come back. But they will not be welcomed in the church until that happens. Now I don't have to tell you how very hard and sad that it is to see when that happens. And over the years, I've had to experience that twice. Once when I was out ministering in California and once out here. And, and it just breaks your heart when a person does not repent and does not turn back to Christ. But let me tell you this, when it works, when a person goes, man, thank you for coming to me. I see where I was wrong. And they're restored in the body of Christ. There is no greater joy than to see that happening. Sweetest thing to see. To see someone repent and restored to the Lord and to the fellowship of the saints. But here's my point. We don't want professed believers coming in and playing Christian while they continue in habitual sin and rebellion against God. If you're a non-believer and a professing non-believer, we want you here. We want you here. We want you to be here. We want you to hear the Word of God. It's our prayer that you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you're a Christian here this morning, then hopefully you are pursuing and living a holy life. But if you're living a a flagrant, open rebellion against God, and a brother or sister comes to you telling you to to deal this error in your life, you reject that. Two or three people come to you and tell you you need to deal with this error in your life, and you're brought before the leadership of the church, and you're told you to need to deal with this error in your life. Know that it's serious. And, And if you do not respond to that, then we need to remove you from the fellowship of the church. This is not a place to play Christian. Because if we're all playing, acting here, then Paul says again, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You know, Paul had to deal with this specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where this type of thing was happening. A man was having relations with, with his, his, his stepmother and there was a person in the church who wanted to continue this fellowship in the church and continue in their sin. And the church was like, well, look how loving we are and, and how accepting this brothers and said, we just want to love and, and accept him and, and for who he is and, and we're just all a work in progress. It's what you call sloppy agape, okay? It's wrong. God's word says, no way, Jose. I don't know if the guy's name was Jose, but, but, but God's word says, no. The guy's got to go. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, 5, Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. I mean, that seems harsh. Is that the right thing to do? I mean, isn't the church a place for hurting people? Yes, it is. But it's not the place for people who refuse the prescription of the great physician and then begin to spread their disease to other patients. It's a place for sinners to come and find Christ. A place for saints to grow in their faith. Yeah, it's, it's not a place for perfect people. Otherwise, we would all have to clear out. <laughs> but it's a place for people that are seeking to walk with God. And if we remove someone from the fellowship of the church and tell them that they're not welcome here to come back here anymore until they're willing to repent and do what is right, it's not saying that God is done with them. And so are we. No, it's saying, God, you need to deal with them. You need to deal with that. Because until that person realizes their need for repentance and repents, he or she is not welcome here to to play Christian. They need to see the gravity of their sin, turn them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, Paul says. 
The idea there is to, to let them go and get so full of their flesh, full of their sin, till they finally hit rock, rock bottom. Because the Bible says sin is only pleasurable for a season. There's going to come a point and the, the person will finally realize that this sin did not fulfill them. In fact, it made them feel worse. That's the meaning of deliver them one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. That person recognizes, you know what, outside of the church body, I have no joy, I have no peace, I miss my relationship with God, I miss my fellowship with the saints, I, I miss all of that life I used to live. I'm done living for myself. I repent. I'm turning from this stuff. And that really is our prayer. But we are, as a church, to remove ourselves from fellowship with that person until that happens. Say, Pastor Tom, those are tough words. I don't think it's taught in churches. And you're right, it's not taught in a lot of churches. There are a lot of churches that will not exercise church discipline because they're more interested in numbers than they are souls and the purity of the body of Christ. God forbid that that, that would ever be our priority in this church, just, just to gather a crowd. The priority of this church is the Word of God and holiness and the body of Christ and to reach the lost. Pretty simple. And that will continue to be our priority. But we do have the responsibility to exercise discipline and love. And it's sad that few churches are concerned with discipline. And, and those that are many, they, they're you know, only interested in principle, but they never do it in practice. Or they do it all wrong. Listen, the whole purpose is to bring about restoration. It was Dr. Paul Turnier, who was a medical doctor from Switzerland and also a pastoral counselor, counselor. And the physician turned counselor said something very interesting. He said, I believe that nine out of ten people who go to a psychiatrist don't need to go. What they need, he said, is to find someone who will genuinely love them with God's love and they will be cured. I mean, that's from a scientist and a professional counselor who spent years with people at that, that, that their level. It's very insightful. People don't need psychiatrists, counselors. They need someone to, they need to show, see God's love. We, when we truly care about each other with God's love, not wanting anyone that we love to fall away. We reach out to them and show them that we care. God is glorified and our brother, our sister is helped in the Lord. Folks, this is not an option that Jesus is laying out here. Look now how Jesus closes this out, this section. And we can't separate the text from the context. Look at verse 18. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, literally, it should be because of the Greek tense. Read like this. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And it's linked to the previous verses of dealing with sin in the church. Any church that is submitted truly to the word of God, God says, I give that group, I give that church my authority to take these steps of correction within the church. If they have to remove an unrepentant believer, the Lord says, I stand by that decision. They have my support. And if somebody loosens that person so they can come back in the fellowship, I stand behind that as well. Now again, as I said earlier, that does not give the leadership the, the authority to be the gospel Gestapo, you know, to be the, 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 the salvation police and to look around and be sin sniffers and fault finders and we're looking around, we, we catch you. No, it has the idea that we, we are all a body of Christ submitted to the word of God uh, and God honors that in heaven. 
And I think that a church that does not honor that, God does not honor. That's why he goes on to say, look at verse 19. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. I mean, what he's saying here is, listen, restoration is what God wants. You get together, oh, there's two or three, you get together and you pray that and, and, and I'm, I'm behind you. See, it's important that Jesus share that because one might hear this and go, well, how big does a church have to be for this, you know, church discipline to take place? Jesus says, all you need is two or three. Submitted to the authority of my truth and I will honor that in heaven. Then verse 20, for where there are two or three gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Pastors love to pray that when the church service is light and there's not very many people. You know, oh, oh, two or three are there. We know you are here. You know, That's really not the context of what Jesus is saying here. You see, the context is, if there are two or three that have to deal with a problem, know that the Lord is there. It doesn't matter if there's two or three or, or 2,000 or 3,000 people. This is the heart of God to bring restoration to those that have wandered off. I want to close by going back up to what Jesus said in verse 12 and 13. Look at verse 12. Jesus says, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, as surely I say to you, he rejoices more over the sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Again, the Lord wants to use us as his hands and his heart to reach people. And God's love here is demonstrated in that of restoration. Now this is fascinating, and the reason it is, and I want, again I want to close with this, if you had a sheep business, or, or any really any business, and you lost just one, really that just 1%, and anyone who does business, you have your own business, that margin is pretty low. You cut your losses and you move on. So if you're in business and 1% gets away, you go, okay, that's just the cost of doing business. I'll learn better. I'll try and tighten my margin, but we all lose a little bit. So you cut your losses and go on. In those days, however, if you were a shepherd, things were different. Typically, you didn't own sheep. It was just your job to watch somebody else's flock. So if the sheep goes away, run sheep runs away, you have to pay for it. If it has been eaten by another animal, you've got to bring back some part of its carcass to prove that, hey, you know what? I didn't you know, take the sheep for myself. It was attacked. It was killed by another. You have to prove it. You've got to pay for it. Otherwise, you have to pay for it. So that's the idea. But we're not talking about business owners here. You know, we're talking about blue-collar workers that have the responsibility of watching after the sheep. So you go after and you seek after that one sheep. See, listen, and being a shepherd... You know, even today, it, it's hard work for a simple reason. How do I put this? You know, sheep were known for not having a high mental capacity. <laughs> In other words, they're just plain stupid. Sheep would wander. They have perpetual ADHD, looking, wandering, looking, running. <laughs> so shepherds have to keep a, a tight look on them. That's why Isaiah the prophet and other prophets, other writers described as a sheep saying, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have all gone our own way. You and I are compared to sheep and I think it's a very apt comparison. At least I'll speak for myself. I won't speak for you. Now you're much smarter than I am, but as for me, that fits me pretty good. 
I'm prone to wander. As the, the hymn writer says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But the emphasis here that Jesus is making in this parable isn't the stupidity of the sheep, but the emphasis of restoring by the shepherd and the value that the shepherd places upon the sheep. The recovery of the sheep is the emphasis here. And you want to recover that sheep for your master, the one that has hired you to take care of the sheep. Now, I want you to think of how valuable you are to God. For some of you, that, that's, that's very difficult. There's a, a lot of believers who have a difficult time believing that God loves you, that you are valuable to God. They know that, that God loves everybody else, but, but, but you're sort of the exception. And they don't really live in that awareness and confidence that they are highly valued by God. Oh, who am I? I'm just lost in the crowd. Nobody cares about me. Oh, I try to pray every now and then, but I realize God is so big and so busy running the universe. He's got bigger business than, than just me. Listen, you are his business. He cares for you. He's concerned that not one of his sheep should be lost. So next time you're prone to say, nobody loves me or God doesn't care about me or I'm really nothing, you think back to this. Let me put it another way. How dare you depreciate what God values? If God happens to say that smelly dumb sheep I love so intensely, I'm willing to go after it, then, then who are you to say differently? He does value. You are important. You have no right to depreciate God's property and you're God's property. He died for you. He cared for you. And, and as we close, if you've come to that place where you feel separated from God, maybe you're out there wandering because of sin, know first and foremost that Jesus loves you. And before any steps are taken by the church to restore you, I know that God's Holy Spirit has been touching your heart, leading to you repent, leading you to turn to Him. And that's why you're here this morning. God is saying, don't hold on to that sin to the point of letting it destroy you. You are here to hear this message because God has come after you to leave the 99, to go after that one, to bring you back into that fold, to bring you back into that place of restoration. So if you're here and you're, you're caught up in a sin and, and, and the Holy Spirit has been, been tugging on your heart, I don't know about it, but He does. And He wants you to turn to Him today. Don't let it go beyond this morning. And if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I say especially don't let that go on another day. Turn from your sin, turn to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I want to follow you from this day forward. And God will come in. He'll cleanse you of your sin. He'll forgive you of all unrighteousness. And He'll give you eternal life. Why? Because Jesus Christ went to the cross, died for your sins, rose from the grave to give you that life. So as soon as we're done, in in just a moment, as soon as service is over, if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, the elders will be up front. would love to pray with you and give you a Bible. If you need prayer for any reason whatsoever, the elders will be up front for you to give you a Bible. You don't need a Bible. If you need a Bible, you can have a Bible. But we'll be there. we're there to pray for you and with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, because it's practical, it's instructions in righteousness and holy living. Lord, you haven't left us here just to wander. How do we figure out this thing called the Christian life? You've given us your word. And Lord, as we look in the Word, we look at it as a mirror, Lord, to reflect back to see our life, to see where we line up to it, Lord. 
And if we're not lined up right, Lord, as we looked at this morning, help us to turn from our sin. Help us to turn back to you. Lord, your word says if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so this morning, if there's any one of us that, that have been caught up in sin, Lord, we turn from it today. And I pray as a body of believers that they would turn from it today as well and make that recommitment to following you. And Lord, for those of us that are not in that way, Lord, we've been walking with you. And Lord, maybe there's some conflicts, some situations that have come up and, and even this morning you've laid on our hearts that you need to deal with the situation. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to deal with that with wisdom and love and humility to bring about restoration to your glory and to your honor and to your praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll stand and we'll do one last song together.